courage that when it would get scared would stick its head in the ground. And I, I always thought what a stupid thing to do because you can't hide. You know what I'm saying? You're only hiding your face. And I questioned God one time. I thought, why would you make an ostrich to hide its head in the ground uh, because it was scared? And did you know I found out that it was false? Ostriches don't really do that. It's just a cartoon thing, I guess. I don't know, some kind of an old myth. I don't know. I thought, God, if you gave it legs to run, why would it hide its head in the ground? Well, it's because he didn't do that. So they run. And the only individuals on the face of this earth that hide their heads in the ground when they're fearful is mankind. Why? Because we don't like to deal with stuff. We don't like people to have to tell us, you know, you got to deal with this. How many of us love confrontation? Two or three of us because we're sick-minded and we think only good comes out of it. You know? People don't like to deal with things. And this morning, we're going to deal with some stuff. <coughs> nope, this isn't going to be warm and fuzzy. Again, like I always say, come next week, maybe I'll preach something warm and fuzzy. It's not going to be warm and fuzzy. It's the word of the Lord to us today. Amen? It's time to deal with some things. It's real easy for us to close our eyes from stuff, to close our eyes from things, and stick our head in the ground and just assume that it's never going to happen. This morning, I want to talk to you about standing before a holy, living God. It will happen for all of us. It's not a comfortable thing. Right now, people are already getting nervous in your seats and squirming a little bit. You know why? Because we want to do this. We want to stick our head in this world as deep as we can, get it, and then all of a sudden look around and say, well, everything's fine. I guess if I'm not looking to the end and I'm not thinking about having to stand before a holy God, that's kind of fearful and scary, so I'm just going to ignore it and put my head in the ground. Now, obviously, nobody's got their head in the ground, but it's a figure of speech, amen? We like to ignore these things. But it is going to happen. There's a king, he was a Hungarian king, found himself depressed, recognized, he was a believer, but recognized his sin in his life. And he said, I am a sinner. And recognized that he was going to have to stand before a holy God someday. He called his brother to him for some comfort and his brother come in and he said hey he said what's the problem he said man he goes i i recognize sin in my life and and i i know that someday i'm gonna have to stand before a holy god a living god and i'm fearful i don't know what to do you know what his brother told him his brother laughed at him his brother pointed at him and said you know don't worry about it you're you know you're worrying about nothing and it kind of made fun of him and went off and went on his way well it still disturbed the king he was upset he said what do i do what do i do so in that day and age if a trumpet was blown for the executioners. They would go to your house and they would stand outside your door and they would blow the trumpet. And when the trumpet was blown, the executioner was waiting outside the door. He would take you to be executed. So the king said, you know, maybe I'll send him to my brother's door and see what he thinks of that. So he goes to his brother's door early in the morning and blows the trumpet. His brother wakes up, realizes it's outside his door, pulls his clothes on and the executioner takes him and throws him before his brother, the king. And the man's trembling with fear and crying and saying, Brother, brother, what, what are you doing? I, what have I done? I fear for my life. His brother said, Oh, brother, you tremble before me. Why shouldn't I tremble before a holy and living God? Amen. Church, the truth and the reality of this is today, 10 out of 10 people die. 
We all do. Go ahead and chuckle. It's true. 10 out of 10 people die. That's the statistics. You and I, all of us, are going to stand before a holy and living God. Now, how do you feel about that? <laughs> Some of us have mixed emotions. I, I don't want to stand by myself before a holy and living God. I guarantee you, it will happen. Adam and Eve were cast out of the Garden of Eden, promised, saying, you will die. By mercy, God said, you get out of my garden. I'm out of mercy. I'm not going to let you live here eternally full of sin. Go out. Get out of my face. But someday you're going to die and you and I are going to see each other again. It's a very humbling thought. My friends, we cannot do this in light of that. Amen. It is a dangerous game to play to stick our head in the sand, to indulge ourselves in this life and say it's not going to happen to me because the truth of the matter is, is everything's fine as long as, as, long as we're okay. The tendency of people is to have a great theology of God, great attitude of God, to be very prideful in their statements about God until the doctor says cancer. Until the doctor says heart attack. Until, until, until. Listen, my point to you today is, is it's real easy for us when everything's fine and wonderful to never think about standing before God, but I'm telling you there's coming a day. And we have to consider this. We've got to think about it today because today is the day for us to evaluate our lives. If you know Christ, that's wonderful. Evaluate how you're walking with Him. Have you become lazy in your walk with Him? Are you in the Word? Are you praying? Are you seeking Him? Are you staying close to His side? If you don't know Christ today, I have an answer for you. His name is Jesus Christ. The Muslims have a fearful God. They serve a God that's full of terror and fear, but there's no hope of mercy and peace because they don't have Jesus Christ. We have Jesus Christ today who came and died on a cross for you. So we're going to look this morning at something that hopefully will grab the back of our head and jerk us out of the sand. Read a couple things this morning that by the grace of God will grab us and shake us awake so that we can get our heads out of ourselves and our selfish lives into place all of a sudden, some stock in the fact that we're going to stand before Him someday. Joel chapter 2, verse 1. Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. Verse 10. The earth shall quake before them, the heavens shall tremble, the sun and the moon shall be dark, and the stars shall withdraw their shining, and the Lord shall utter His voice before His army. For His camp is very great. For he is strong that executeth his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can abide it? Verse 31 of Joel chapter 2. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and the terrible day of the Lord comes. Revelation chapter 20. I know you, if you've got your finger in it, flip over to it. Verse 11. Another account of the same event. And I saw a great white horse. And him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the, gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man according to their works. 
And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You may say, Pastor Bob, this is a reference to people that are lost. This is a reference to people, this is the day of judgment. This is them being resurrected to life to be judged. Why, why are you saying this to a room of believers? Because number one, I can't guarantee that everybody in here is a believer. Number two, in light of that, it's good to be thankful for our salvation in Jesus Christ and not take it for granted. Amen? Amen. It's important for us to have a living and vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. You say, Pastor Bob, why, are you going to try to use some kind of a scare tactic today to scare people into, into the kingdom of God? That doesn't work. I know that doesn't work. All I'm doing today is sharing the truth. Are you scared? Because if you're scared, that means there's a problem. If there's fear there, if you're looking at your life and you're saying, wow, I'm fearful of this day. I don't want to stand this day in front of God by myself. And there's fear there, then there, that means that you need the answer and His name is Jesus Christ. You see, I'm not up here trying to just scare you into heaven. I'm not trying to tell you that, that God is, is just mean and vengeful and wants to destroy you. I'm here to tell you that there is a day of reckoning, but there's also a way of salvation from all of it. Amen. And for us to stick our heads in the sand and ignore it and to indulge into our lives and in this life and this world and, and think that this world is all there is, we finally really see how exposed we really are. We cannot remain this way, church. There comes points in our lives where we have to stop and we have to think about and look at eternity and think, where am I in light of all this? I've got some quotes here of some great atheist philosophers and leaders. You like atheists? They get on my nerves, personally, because the arguments are always the same. Then when you answer the question, they change the subject and go to a different question. They're not willing to receive it. These are the last words of atheists on their deathbed. M.F. Rich, this is what he says, Terrible horrors hang over my soul. I have given my immortality for gold, and its weight sinks me into a hopeless, helpless hell. Sir Francis Newport, the head of an English infidel club, You need not tell me there is no God, for I know there is one, and that I am in His presence you need not tell me there is no hell. I feel myself already slipping. Wretches, cease your idle talk about there being hope for me. I know I am lost forever. Oh, that fire. Oh, the unsufferable pangs of hell. Voltaire, I am abandoned by God and man. I will give you half of what I am worth if you will give me six months life to his doctor. The doctor said he can't do it. Then he says this, then I shall die and go to hell. Robert Ingersoll, oh God, if there be a God, save my soul, if I have a soul. Caesar Begoria, while I lived, I provided for everything but death. Now I must die, and I'm prepared to die. Thomas Hobbes, I say again, if I had the whole world at my disposal, I would give it to live one day. I am about to take a leap into the dark. Stay with me for God's sake. I cannot bear to be left alone. Oh Lord, help me. Oh God, what have I done to suffer so much? What will become of me hereafter? Sir Thomas Scott, until this moment, I thought there was neither a God nor a hell. Now I know and feel that there are both and I am doomed to perdition by the just judgment of the Almighty. You tell me, are those not frightening words yes. to get to the end of your life 
and recognize the God that I've made fun of, the God that I've scorned, the Jesus that I've rejected, the church and the religion that I've hated and mouthed about is real. It's all real. And I'm doomed. What I don't see in these statements are the pride. I don't see the theological pride of that God does not exist. I don't see in those statements the boastful things. I don't see in those statements the things that are repeated at our universities. I see the fact that they come to the realization that there is a holy and mighty, powerful, living God that now I have to stand in front of all by myself. It's a very sobering thought, amen? But I would much rather have a preacher stand in front of me at a pulpit today and grab the back of my head and pull it out of the sand today while there's still life in my bones and go out and live my life from here this day forward until that time comes with confidence knowing that I can be saved through Jesus Christ. Then, living my life however I want to do it, and then laying on my deathbed with these thoughts. It's a very harsh reality, isn't it? It's a very hard thing for us to grasp eternity and the fact that we're only on this earth for a set amount of time, and when it's over, it's over, and our decision is made. Matthew 10.28 says this, Jesus says, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. We need to fear God. We need to wake up and recognize that this is not patty cake. This is not some kind of a Christian game that we play week in, week out, see who can get the biggest church with the nicest things, and all the stuff that we deal with. Listen, we are dealing with eternal issues on a weekly basis. It's heaven and hell, my friend. It's Christ or not Christ. It's a holy God that loves us or having to face the judgment of a holy God. You see, the word used in this passage for fear is the Greek word phobio. It's closely related to the word phobos, which is the root word that we have today, phobia. Everybody knows what phobia is, right? Phobia is is defined as an irrational fear. If you have a fear of heights, even if you're inside glass and you're looking out, it's irrational because you can't fall, but you're still afraid. Phobio is rational. It's real. It's terror. It's not irrational. Listen, if we're going to fear God, it's a rational fear. Some people say, well, you've got, there is such thing, I forget what it's called, but it's a phobia of God, basically. That is not an irrational fear. That is a real and relevant fear. We need to understand. That's not talking about just reverence. Reverence the one fear that can throw you in hell. It's talking about terror. It's talking about fear trembling before God. It's recognizing that we need to recognize that God is all-powerful. This morning, I want us to look at a few other scriptures. Romans chapter 1. First and foremost, we are without excuse passage of scripture we've read thousands of times i'm going to read it again because it's true romans chapter 1 verse 20 for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and godhead so that they are without excuse because that when they knew god they glorified him not as god neither were thankful but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, into birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. 
We are without excuse, church, because God has revealed himself to us in his creation. Now, our culture, our society loves to look at science and psychology. Everything's science and psychology. Oh, it's science, Pastor Bob. It's science and science. We have to dig into everything. We can go as deep as we want to go into the DNA and study all this stuff that we want to. And people will sit there and act like it's a natural thing that just happened and that God did not create it. People will look at that thing and try to disprove God because they don't want to believe him. And all the while, the deeper they dig, the more he's screaming at them and saying, I'm real. I created this. It's complicated because I made it. It's complicated because I did it. This kind of thing doesn't happen. And people will stick their heads in the sand. And the philosophies of this world that have glorified mankind, have glorified animals, have glorified other things, and ignore the fact that there is a creator that's created all of this that's bigger and more beautiful than you and I can ever dream or imagine and more powerful. Do you imagine? He spoke it into existence. The most complex things that have taken hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years for mankind to dig into and learn a little bit about, God spoke it. There's a great thinker, philosophy. Anybody heard of Friedrich Nietzsche? A few of you. College people. I'll never forget it. The first time I ever heard of Nietzsche, my wife was in a humanities class in ISU. In furious... Furious. Do you know that, that our colleges, our secular universities, hold Nietzsche up as one of the greatest thinkers of all time? Great philosopher. Do you know what Nietzsche's key statement that he's known for is? Who knows it? Suzanne, do you know it? Anybody? Does anybody remember it? Other than my wife, because I know she remembers it. God is dead. Three words. God is dead. He lived his life. To, to disprove faith. He lived his life to disprove God's existence. Listen to what he said. I'll read you a few of his quotes. A casual stroll through the lunatic asylum shows that faith does not prove anything. Faith, meaning not wanting to know what is true. God is a thought who makes crooked all that is straight. I cannot believe in a God who wants to be praised all the time. In Christianity, neither morality nor religion come into contact with reality at any point. In heaven, all the interesting people are missing. Pretty bold statement, huh? Is man one of God's blunders or is God one of man's blunders? There cannot be a God because if there were one, I could not believe that I was not he. One of the greatest thinkers of his time. God is dead. Frederick Nietzsche. Which, by the way, if you look at his tombstone, it says, Frederick Nietzsche, God is dead. Or it says, God is dead, dash Frederick Nietzsche. Somebody went in there and put on it, Nietzsche is dead, dash God. <laughs> True. What a sad life to live, church. It only speaks. You know how he died? He died in an insane asylum. Crazy, out of his mind. And listen to what the scripture says. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and to four-footed beasts and creeping things. He made himself God and he went crazy. Amen. Went through his life like this, full of himself, head stuck in his own world and would not look up and receive the love and mercy that was there for him. 
We are without excuse because of the prophets. Luke chapter 16 verse 31 says, Jesus said this to, uh, in reference, I guess talking about the parable where um, the rich man and Lazarus had died. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. We know that Jesus rose from the dead and people still aren't convinced. Jesus said all through the Scriptures to the Pharisees, the Jews, He said, if you would read and believe Moses, you would believe Me because He wrote of Me. But they aren't willing to open up the Word of God and to look inside of it and see truth. We are without excuse today because this is here. We will stand before a holy God and be judged according to this Word. And you say, but Lord, I never read it and that's not His fault, that's yours. Amen. True? Boy, this is so warm and fuzzy. <laughs> he has no intentions of sending somebody to hell that didn't have every opportunity. Amen. You say, how big is our God? How majestic is our God? How great is our God? Open up the pages of this book and read it and see how great He is. I guarantee you, if you do, you're going to say, woe is me. You're going to be just like King Josiah was when they found the Word of God in the temple and he picks it up and they start to read it and he rends his clothes and all of a sudden everybody's repenting because they had forgotten about the Word of God. We've sinned. Open it up. You are without excuse, my friend, because God has given you the Word of God and it's here for us to read and to understand who He is. He is a mighty, He is a living God. You say, I don't know who He is. You say, open it up. He's the one that spoke things into existence. He's the one that parted the Red Sea. He's the one that parted the Jordan. He's the one that made the walls fall around Jericho. He's done it all, church. And get this, you say, well, I shouldn't, I'm not afraid of God. <laughs> you want to know how big and beautiful God is? When His angels appear, people are afraid. Think about it. Amen. When His angels appear, people are afraid. The same God that's so big and so beautiful and so majestic that spoke out of the top of Mount Sinai and the people said, don't talk to us, we're afraid we're going to die just because we hear your voice. The same God that where Moses said, show me your glory. He said, I can't show you because if any man sees my face, he's going to die. Nobody can see my face and live. But I'll put you in the cleft of the rock. You know what that is? If he puts us in the cleft of Jesus Christ, we can see. There's hope. There's salvation. We don't have to be afraid. How big is my God? How beautiful? How amazing is my God? Just because of the sound of his voice, Peter, James, and John were on the Mount of Transfiguration, saw Jesus transfigured in front of them, saw Moses, saw Elijah, weren't afraid, but when God spoke, they hit the ground. Listen, it's okay to be afraid of God. It's okay. Why? Because we can't, we can't fathom him. We just read in the scriptures that he was so amazing, so big, even the elements ran away from his face. The earth can't even stand. Things that are inanimate, elements, grass, trees, animals, all this stuff, his face appears, whoo, it's gone. You tell me that I shouldn't be afraid of my God. You tell me that I shouldn't fear him. I am going to fear him because he is fearful to me. But in Christ Jesus, in the cleft of the rock, I don't have to be afraid. We are without excuse because of Jesus Christ. John chapter 1 verse 9 says, That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. 
in reference to Jesus. He has lighted or lit or lighted, however you want to say it, King James, whatever, bad grammar, good grammar, I don't care what it is. He lights the whole world, every man, every single one of them. And we just had proof of it as I read all those statements of those atheists. You say, why do you say that, Pastor Bob? Because it came to the end in their history of trying to bash Jesus Christ, their history of trying to denounce God, denounce a creator, denounce all these things. When the rubber meets the road, they're laying on their deathbed. It was there. I'm going to hell. I, I have rejected that man. I have rejected the only pathway of salvation. I am headed to the darkness because I have rejected the light. What a fearful, horrible thing. Hebrews 10 says this, 28, He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who has trodden underfoot the Son of God and has counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an holy thing and has, has done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that has said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. You say, well, what does, what does all that mean? That means Jesus Christ was given. You reject the blood. You reject the leading of the Holy Spirit to draw you to Him. And you throw yourself upon God, hoping that He's merciful when you've avoided every avenue of mercy that He's provided for you. That's a frightening thing. It says, you know what? I don't need Jesus Christ. God and I can talk about this. I'm a great debater. We'll reason this out. I use Socratic wisdom, God. You say, Socratic wisdom, what's that? It's baloney. And the reason I say it's baloney is because last year I had a, had a person emailing me and telling me all this stuff that I use Socratic wisdom, I don't need God. And finally, he just wanted to debate and argue. And I said, listen, until you recognize that you're sinful and you need Jesus Christ for salvation, leave me alone. I'm not messing with you anymore. But I use Socratic wisdom. Yeah, but you, you contradict yourself six times in the same paragraph. You don't even make sense to you. It's no wonder these people end up in the insane asylum. He's, re, he's, he's just repeating the nonsense that he's being taught in college. There's no wisdom there. Yeah, go to God with that Socratic wisdom. See how that works for you. I myself, I'm going to hide myself in the cleft of the rock because I'm scared of him. I'm not going to go to him prideful with the attitude of Satan that says, I can do things my own, that I am the only God there is. I'm not going to go there with an attitude with Satan that says, I can do my own thing. Follow me. I'm God. I'm God. I'm God. And then you see God and you go, I thought I was God. <laughs> Mercy. No. Oh! Too late! Why would you want to do that? Why would I want to fall into the hands of God apart from every... Why? It's, it's like the same thing where they, they say, you know, you're drowning, you're stuck on an island, they send a, send a helicopter, they send a boat, send all this stuff, and, and the guy rejects it, and God says, I did try saving you. Why didn't you accept anything that I sent? Jesus Christ, the one thing God sent him. He's not sending anything else. He's not going to expect you to be a good person. He's not going to expect you to try to pr prove you're worthy to get in there because you're not. I am not worthy. You are not worthy. Nobody can make it apart from the covering and the blood that was shed on the cross for your sins and my sins over 2,000 years ago. It's only in one man. It's the man, Jesus Christ, that anybody's going to get into heaven. To live like this and reject him is to get exposed, is to get destroyed for eternity. It's time for us to quit playing church and get our heads out of the sand. Amen. Nietzsche did say one thing, and I'd like to know at what point in his life he said this. 
I'm going to guess that this came toward the end of his life. When one has finished building one's house, one suddenly realizes that in the process, one has learned something that that one really needed to know in the worst way before one began. Jesus told his disciples, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Boy, isn't that good to know before you start? (laughs) Isn't it good to know Jesus told him in Luke chapter 6, verse 47, that whosoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built a house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that hears and does not is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth against which the stream did beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. We have a choice today, church. We have a choice today. Are we going to serve Jesus Christ? Are we going to build a foundation now? Are we going to build a foundation now that we're going to obey Him and live for Him all the days of our life? Are we going to put all of our trust in the sacrifice that was made on that cross for us? Are we going to ignore it? This this is an eternal question. Love me or hate me, I'm just doing my job. This is what God's called me to do. And I'll tell you this, I have no regrets for it whatsoever. I am so sure that this is a word from the Lord for us today that, that I'm throwing it out there to you all to hear it and to receive it and to do whatever you will with it. But it's always good for us to jerk our heads out of the ground, amen? Look around a little bit and recognize that I am man, He is God. And He has got the power to save me or throw me into hell. The decision is mine. Jesus was given for all. That whosoever will, whosoever will and all, that's for all of us. All we have to do is submit. All we have to do is come in and lower ourselves and humble ourselves before him and say, Lord, I recognize that you are so much bigger and better than what I am. I can't earn my way. I need your covering of salvation on my life. We submit to him and we obey what's in the word of God. If we fear God and obey the scriptures, what a different life we'd all lead. But what a, what a horrible thing it is to get to the end of our life and to look back and say, wow, if I would have known this 30 years ago, if I'd have known this 20, if I'd have known this 50 or 40 years ago, because here's what we do. As I'm closing this out, this is what we do. And we're all, we all do it. Because we're in this world, you gotta live here, amen? That's just the way it is. We plan. We plan. We, we plan for a retirement. We put up nest egg. Boom, 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 boom. I'm doing it. I hope someday I can retire and live in Florida. That's what I want to do. I want to live somewhere where it's really warm. I'm putting money in. Bless God, if, if the Lord should tarry, that's what I'm going to do. I'm excited about that. But what a horrible thing it would be is if I took all my money and put it in there and planned for my retirement and didn't plan for my death. You say, well, Pastor Bob, I plan for my death. I, I've got my funeral arrangements all set up. I know what songs you're preaching my funeral. I'm doing all this stuff. I even put up, 
I even put up a, a, a life insurance, Pastor Bob. When I die, my kids are going to be rich, filthy rich, because I've prepared and planned for them. You know what? That's all wonderful and that's good. Bless your kids. We should pass on an inheritance. Amen? Scripture says we should. That's all wonderful. But listen, if you've planned your funeral, you've got me preaching your funeral. Well, number one, you better hope I don't go before you do. Number two, you have planned all those things. Have you, have you planned for your death? Have you planned to meet God? So yeah, I, yes, Pastor Bob. Because here's what we do. We stick our heads in this world. We commit so much to this world that with our kids, we teach them to how to, how to hit, a, hit a ball with a ball bat. We teach them how to kick a soccer ball. We teach them how to play football. We teach them whatever. Volleyball, softball, swimming, dirt bikes, bicycles, skateboarding. You could just go on down the list. We make sure that they're indulged in what they got to. And again, I'm not preaching at that stuff. You know, you see my daughter playing soccer. I played sports. It's all good, okay? But listen to me. Dads and moms, if the only thing you're passing on to your kids is preparing them for a scholarship for college, you're doing them a great injustice. There are parents that will spend hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours trying to get their kid to play sports and never take five minutes to talk to them about Jesus. You know what you're training your kid to do? This is an eternal question this morning. Are you prepared to stand before a living God? Are your kids prepared? I can't answer that question for you. Deep inside your heart right now, the Spirit of God is working. And He's doing a ministry inside of your life. And He's questioning you. He's probing you. He's prodding you. That's what He does. That's the Spirit of God. You can thank Him for that right now. Thank you, Lord. Because you're stirring in my life. That means there's hope for me. If you're here this morning, you need Jesus Christ. There's going to be an opportunity. You stand with me.